Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as a Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C., and welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. So this week we read Parshat Yitro, which contains, amongst other things, the Ten Commandments. And I wanted to focus today specifically on one of the commandments, the Hebrew being Lo Tachmod Beit Re'echa, Lo Tachmod Eshet Re'echa, Ve'abdo, Ve'amato, Ve'shoro, Ve'chamaro, Ve'chol Asher Le'echa. The JPS translates it as, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his female or female slave or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So this sounds like on the surface, like a great principle to live by, right? Don't look at all your neighbor's stuff and covet it, be jealous of it, you know, want it. But I think that in order to really understand why this is one of the Ten Commandments, we have to spend a little bit more time thinking about it, right? Like, why is this as important as lo tirzach, don't murder? I mean, this is a good principle to live by, but ultimately, this is a feeling inside your head, right? This is a way of living your life that in theory, no one has to know about, as opposed to murder, which is something obviously that greatly affects the other person. So what is it about this that makes it so significant of coveting, of jealousy, that makes this one of the Ten Commandments? Now, I wanted to look, think about this question through the lens of three different commentaries who truly span the spectrum of approaches. So, Beginning with the Sforno, and I love, by the way, I should say, I love all of these. I'm not setting this up to like build to one that I like more than the rest of them. I think they're all fascinating. So the Sforno, he says that, why does the Torah state lo tachmod, don't desire, don't covet that which belongs to your neighbor? neighbor. But he says, well, whatever you covet, it should be considered so utterly unattainable that you won't even think about trying to find ways to acquire it. So what he means is, is that human nature is to look around and to see things that you don't have, but that you want. That, I think, is a fundamentally, according to the Sforno, fundamentally negative thing. Why? Because that attitude is the root of crime, right? It's the root of robbery, right? That's so much bad parts of our society come from people simply wanting something that someone else has and not being able to accept it. And so instead they turn to crime in order to acquire it. And so according to the Sforno, the Torah says, don't, don't covet this, right? All of these things because the Torah wants us to now Think of these things as, all right, they're not attainable, right? They're, that is not mine. The Torah, says, God says, don't be jealous or desirous of your neighbor, my neighbor's wife or any of his property, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so I'll write that out of my mind. And now I won't be tempted to commit a crime in order to attain it. And by the way, that could be why specifically the Torah uses re'echa, right? Your neighbor, I mean, your friend, someone in your life who's close to you you actually would be, in theory, in close enough proximity to, to be able to act out this crime, as opposed to, 
I don't know. I mean, this wouldn't really apply so much back then, but like, let's say a celebrity, right? Where like, you could want all those fancy cars that they have, but there's really no way that you're going to go try to hatch a plot to steal them unless, God forbid, you know, someone I think has some serious challenges in life and then that might happen. But the average person isn't even going to think like that. You only think like this about people you're exposed to, you're in proximity to. So that's the Sworno, right? Limit the thing, limit the sources in your life the things in your life that might lead you to commit a crime. Now, the Chizkuni says something that might sound similar, but it has, he has different reasoning behind it. He says, well, okay, low mode basically disagrees with this one. Low mode it can't be that you can't take her as your own, right? Because that would just be saying that you can't commit adultery. But we know that adultery is prohibited separately, right? So it can't be like, oh, don't covet your neighbor's wife so that you won't come, you know, to, to develop a relationship with her because that would fall under the separate prohibition of you can't commit adultery, right? So Lotachmod, so why does Lotachmod exist as an independent prohibition? He says, well, it's because you might look at your neighbor's wife. Obviously, this is gendered, but let's just because this is the example that's given, we're just going to roll with it. But of course, I'm aware of the gendered nature of all of this, right? That so you can't look at her and say, ah, oh, you know, I I'm just want to I'm just going to start an affair. But you could look at her and say, hmm, I really think she's beautiful. Now I know I can't have an affair with her and that I can only marry her through legal means. So because I really want to be with her, what I'm going to do is start to stage some kind of a situation that's going to drive her apart from her husband and cause them to split, right? And that is going to then bring about space for him then to, of course, move in and try to marry her himself, right? So not committing the actual crime of adultery, but rather allowing that manipulativeness, that scheming into your head in a way that will cause you to do bad things, right? And as he points out, like these are the, that, these are the types of attitudes that like kind of tear societies apart, right? And so it's not here that you don't want to commit the crime itself, just like Sorno says of robbery, but rather you want to start not living. You don't want to live in the kind of world where people, they see what they want and they don't try to get it through explicitly illegal means, but they do try to manipulate situations into allowing them to find league, technically legal, but of course not actually upstanding means of acquiring these things. And so similar, similar sort of to the Sforno in that the result, the conclusion is, so you're not allowed to covet your neighbor's property so that it won't even enter your mind to try to manipulate your way into getting any of that property or their family. So both the Sforno and Chizkuni, certainly what they have in common is a focus on the potential excuse me, negative um, outcomes, right? The negative ramifications that coveting has that destroy society, either through crime or through manipulation. Now, the Ibn Ezra, he goes in a different direction. He says, 
I love the beginning. He says, okay, many people are like amazed by this commandment of low mode, right? Because what does he say? They say, how is it possible for a person in their own heart not to covet all those things that are desirable to that person, right? Because they say, okay, as we said in the beginning, how can you have a commandment not to covet something? We are surrounded by things that look beautiful to us, that look desirable to us. Of course we covet them. That's just human nature. So he gives this example. He gives a couple of like little parables to serve as an example. So the first he says is, have take the example of a peasant. And this peasant, he sees a beautiful princess. And says the Ibn Ezra, this peasant is actually going to think in his head, ah, I want to marry her. Why? Because he knows he's a he's a mere peasant and she's a beautiful princess, right? He knows it isn't even within the realm of possibility. And in fact, he says it's so not in the realm of possibility that it's the same. He says it's just as unlikely as a person sitting around and saying, ah, oh, you know, I wish I'm jealous of that bird because they can sprout wings and fly. And I really want to be able to sprout wings and fly. No, people, he says, people don't actually think like that because it's so, it's so absurd, right? It's so far from our own reality that it's not even something that we consider to be attainable. So effectively what he's arguing is the reality of our lives is that certain things and the human mind is that we, we naturally covet things that are either beautiful or wonderful that we don't have. However, We've also constructed society in some ways, or at least human psychology, to know that not literally anything you see is actually attainable, right? No one walks around looking at a bird all the time, being actively jealous of that bird because it can fly and we can't. You just know that's the way of the world. The bird flies, we don't. Okay, and then you move on. And so he says, that is why God gives us this commandment of low tach mode, because what it's supposed to do is to just narrow that world of things that we can look at and covet. Meaning that if it weren't for this commandment, then we, of course we would look at our neighbor's property, all of our neighbor's stuff, of their family, and we wish we could have it for ourselves. But he says, because humans are able to condition ourselves to limit the supply of things that we can covet, then that's why we have this commandment, right? It comes to say, to train us to not even look at our neighbor's property and consider that we want it for ourselves. It just, because this mitzvah really just enables our neighbor's property to enter the same category as a bird with the wings who can fly. All things we look at, we say, no, it's not even possible for me to have this. So I'm not even going to want it. Now, what I, what I appreciate about the Ibn Ezra is he doesn't kind of leave that as a negative. He also inserts the positive, right? He says, because with this attitude, we become happy in what we have and we train ourselves not to be envious. And we also train ourselves to be good people because what the Torah is effectively saying is if God wanted you to have that thing, you would have it. And so if God didn't give it to me, it must be because that's not what God's plan is. And therefore, I'm not going to create some crazy plot to go, you know, steal my neighbor's wife or what have you. I'm just going to have faith in God 
and that God does right by me. I, what I have is what I'm supposed to have, and what I don't have is what I'm not supposed to have. Now, I really, really, really like what the Ibn Ezra says in this respect. And I know that when I say it out loud, I'm like, oh, this sounds like, you know, just musser. Um, you know, just like classic things that we say to try to make people feel good and better, but actually that are just kind of, I don't know, I struggle with, with things like that sometimes. But like on a deep level, I actually think that this is a really fascinating concept. Um, because of course he's completely right. It is in human nature to look around at the world and see the things we want and to covet them. But it's also within our control to say, you know what? I really don't want that. I don't want to live like that. Right. We may look around and say, Oh, we wish we could win the lottery, right? We wish we could have $30 million and you know, everything would be fine. But if you look around, you may also see if you're really looking and not just looking from the perspective of there's something out in the world that I want that I don't have. But if you're really being honest about looking, you may realize that some people who have $30 million aren't any happier than you are, right? I mean, we all know money can't buy you love, money can't buy you happiness. So I think part of what the Ibn Ezra is saying is that if we're actually really honest with ourselves about whether the grass is actually greener on the other side, we'll realize that it often isn't. And if we can be honest with ourselves about that, we actually are going to greatly limit the scope of what our brains and our hearts covet, what they desire that we don't currently have. And it actually really does cultivate gratitude. Um, you know, I mean, if you, if you always want a bigger house, a bigger this, a bigger that, then yeah, you're going to be miserable in life because you're always going to be seeing it. But if you can realize, you know what, a bigger house comes with higher heating costs, higher cleaning costs, and more, you have to buy more furniture to fill it. And then there's more mess and more this and more that or more clutter. Then you can say, you know what, that's really not my style. I actually really don't want that. And then suddenly any big house you see isn't an opportunity to feel bad about yourself. And you just say, oh, I'm so glad these people are happy living in their house. I love my house. And then you're done. Um, and so I think, you know, at the end of the day, this is a really beautiful way to live your life and really honest way to live your life. And that jealousy often prevents us from being honest with ourselves because it allows us to fool ourselves into thinking that we really do want all of these things. And that when you fool yourself into thinking you really do want all these things, it makes you less happy with what you have. But if we're really willing to be honest with ourselves, there are a lot of things that we covet at first glance, but don't actually want. And it's that kind of attitude and the strength to actually be able to do that, that enables us to find true happiness, you know, true satisfaction in our current lives with our current lot. Shabbat Shalom.